Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Invisible World with your host, Frank Todaro. Yes, hello everyone and welcome to episode 179 of The Invisible World. I'm your host, Frank Todaro. That's right folks, just one more episode until we do a full 180 on you. You know when I was thinking about that pun before the show, I was contemplating making a joke about reporting on the exact opposite of what we normally do, but it got me thinking, I do that already. Which brings me to an email I received in response to last week's final thought. If this is your first time listening, at the end of each show, I end with a final thought. Kind of like Jerry Springer, I guess. It's often related to a topic we spoke about on the show, or an idea that spawned off of one of those topics. So I actually got several responses over the past week about last week's final thought. Honestly, I didn't think it was that different than all the other ramblings I've made in the past, but one in particular was from a person who wished to remain anonymous, but said I could share her statement. That was very nice. She disagrees with me, but did so in the kindest way possible. Now, in summary, this woman, I suppose your anonymity has been reduced by 40% of the world's population by me saying, uh, you're female. So I also just made that statistic up, so don't quote me on that. Now, this woman claims to be a sensitive, a medium, a person who fully believes that she has vivid memories of past reincarnation, which she clarifies as enjoying two legs to move about on, a reference to the story from last week's episode about the boy who claimed to be reincarnated uh, from a snake in a past life. So she's listening. Awesome. So she points out in her letter that she wants to believe that the evidence she sees in her day-to-day life is evidence of what she finds, that what she believes is giving her comfort, and brings a positivity into her life that would not be there otherwise. So she chooses to believe the conclusions that she does. Uh, She states that I didn't take that into account uh, when I said what I said. So first of all, it's great that you guys are actually listening to what I say, uh, because I just sort of go on at the end of these episodes sometimes. Now, about this, trust me. There are plenty of things in my life that do not have solid, definitive proof that is accepted worldwide. I would venture that anyone who has any sort of faith in anything could say that. So I feel I need to clarify a little bit here. Last week, I suggested reading between the lines so that you don't miss out on some information that may be valuable just because of a conclusion that uses that information that doesn't make sense to you for whatever reason could just go against what you feel is true already, and so forth. So, if that conclusion is comforting to you, and you wish to keep that consideration, then in a sense, the statement doesn't really apply. What I'm saying is, don't throw out the baby with the bathwater when you find something that you don't agree with. Look into it and judge for yourself with the tools that you have. And that's it. But again, thank you for sending the letter. It was, it was, it was a long one. And, uh, and you made some great points. I shot you one back, but it definitely was an idea that I wanted to share on the show. So thank you. But with that, we move on to this week's Paranormal News. Our front end's going to be pretty science-heavy in this one. 
BBC News reports NASA's New Horizons probe may have finished with Pluto, but its mission is not over, not by a long shot. You guys know New Horizons, that little uh, grand piano shaped in size probe that could shooting out into the void. So New Horizons now has a new mission. It's going to take it even deeper into the Kuiper Belt in hopes of learning more about our solar system formed 4.6 billion years ago. Its target is a 45-kilometer-wide comet-like object known as 2014 MU69. It is situated about 6.5 billion kilometers beyond the orbit of Pluto. So it's out there. Now, quote here from uh, NASA's uh, John Grunfeld, even as the New Horizons spacecraft speeds away from Pluto into the Kuiper Belt, and the data from the exciting encounter with this new world is being streamed back to Earth, we're looking outward to the next destination for this intrepid explorer. The probe is believed to be carrying enough fuel to keep it going for many, many more years, with scientists estimating that it could keep going into the late 2020s or even the 2030s. If all goes well, it will reach its next destination in the beginning of January 2019. Now, next up from the CBC, six people will spend the next year living in a dome in Hawaii to simulate a manned mission to Mars. So these are people that are experimenting with what it's like to live on an actual Martian colony. The first astronauts to go to Mars will be spending a long time away from home a prospect made all the more difficult by the need to survive off limited resources in cramped conditions while living and working alongside the same people day in, day out, for years at a time. To help prepare for such a mission, scientists at the University of Hawaii have launched a project known as High Seas, the Hawaiian Space Exploration Analog and Simulation. That is a really cool name, uh, very clever, which seeks to simulate what it's going to be like for a crew of six astronauts surviving within a small habitation module on the surface of the Red Planet for a period of one year. The crew's living quarters for the next 12 months will be a two-story dome equipped with cameras, body movement trackers, and sensors to monitor their physical and mental well-being. The simulation aims to see how the team copes and works together over an extended period of time without the ability to see anyone else from the outside world or to escape back to civilization when things get too much for them. This is a, a sci-fi movie in the making. Among the would-be astronauts staying in the dome are physicists, a pilot, a medical writer, and a doctor who will each report based on their own experience of what life is like on the inside. So far, the crew appears to be in good spirits. However, only time will tell if things stay that way kind of like the Martian real world. Maybe MTV should pick this up. Now, speaking of which, I want to mention that the Teachers in Space competition, we spoke about this a ton of times. Liz Kennick has been on the show a few times. It is open for submissions again. I'm one of the judges, along with a bunch of folks much smarter than I am, including neuroscientists, astrophysicists, even the deputy director of technology at NASA himself. From the website here, uh, applications close the 18th of September, 2015. Application fee is $250. All applicants will receive a classroom suitable spacesuit owner's manual available exclusively from Final Frontier Design. Winner will receive up to $500 travel reimbursement and join our test team on the 24 Parabola Microgravity Research Flight. So I'll throw the link up in the show notes if you are a teacher. Heck, if you're anybody. Uh... Check it out. 
if you want to go into a suborbital flight. Now, in a related note from The Guardian, Buzz Aldrin, the legendary Apollo 11 astronaut, is aiming to see an active human colony on Mars by the year 2039. Having teamed up with the Florida Institute of Technology, Aldrin is looking into uh, developing a master plan of sorts for a colony on Mars to be completed in time to mark the 70th anniversary of the first moon landing, 2039. The 85-year-old who took part in the signing ceremony this past Thursday is going to serve as both a research professor of aeronautics and senior faculty advisor for this institute. Now, Aldrin's vision of a future settlement on Mars is very different than this one-way trip concept popularized by the controversial Mars One. We've talked about that before in the program. Instead, this would send the astronauts out to Mars, work for about 10 years. 10 years. That's a, a, a longer than the Hawaiian experiment uh, before returning home. Aldrin also proposes using two moons of Mars, Phobos and Deimos, as a staging area to make it easier to move both equipment and astronauts to and from the surface. His vision for the future is certainly not outside the realm of possibility, especially given that NASA has already been working on its next-gen rockets and space vehicle with the aim of placing a human on Mars at some point within the next 25 years. And if that says anything, last week we were just talking about that M-Drive, which was basically said to not be pure science fiction. There's some tests that were done. Listen to the last episode. And while Aldrin himself might not be around to see this happen, there's a distinct chance that his plan to see humanity travel far beyond where he's ever tread himself could ultimately become a reality. Now, I want to address something else that I've been hearing a lot of hubbub about online and from other paranormal radio hosts and so forth. Now, that is this next doomsday prophecy. If you guys have heard about this already, you know all about it. It's not nearly as popularized as the Mayan end-of-the-world prophecy or Y2K, but it still has this bizarre conspiracy aspect to it that it's, in its subversiveness almost seems to enjoy more validity in certain circles. Basically, the punchline is that a giant asteroid is supposed to hit us on September 23rd to 28th. It's sort of nebulous. And the powers that be have known about this for a while and dropped hints here and there. Even the Pope apparently dropped hints uh, about this. Now, a major proponent is this self-proclaimed prophet, Efrain Rodriguez. He came up with what he calls the Blood Moon Prophecy, a series of four blood moons that have been occurring over the past 18 months with the last one due on September 28th. There's where that date comes from. Now, the claim has this massive extinction-level impact that is going to happen in uh, somewhere near Puerto Rico sometime between the 15th and the 28th. Uh, different dates there. So we might miss this last blood moon, I guess, if this huge thing hits us. NASA did respond to this finally. I mean, they'd have to, since this is sort of picking up a lot of steam online. NASA's Near-Earth Object Office emphatically denies that anything is going to happen, saying, and quote, if there were any object large enough to do that type of destruction in September, we would have seen something of it by now. That was from manager uh, Paul Chodas. In fact, not a single one of the known objects have any credible chance of hitting our planet over the next century. Now, I want to say, of course, if you really want to believe that everyone is lying, and that this conspiracy is in fact true, you can piece together what you want from the information that is out there. So when a statement is made by NASA, you can choose to 
not believe that if this end of the world thing makes sense to you. So I don't really want to talk about it too much more in that it almost turns into a take-it-or-leave-it scenario, and I don't want to do that. But moving on, while we're on the subject of NASA, they put out this video, uh, pretty interesting, I threw it up on the page uh, recently, about scientists warning that the sea levels are going to rise by at least three feet by the end of our century. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it's huge. That could change the coastline, etc., Despite concerned international efforts to curb the effects of uh, global warming, new satellite data indicates that the rise in sea levels around the world is still an unfortunate inevitability. Scientists at NASA have this week revealed that the ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica are melting at a faster rate than ever seen before and will rise three feet over the next hundred years. Uh, NASA's Earth Science Division Director Michael Frelick says uh, more than 150 million people, most of them in Asia, live within one meter of the present sea level, and this may eliminate some Pacific islands entirely. The world's oceans have risen uh, about 7.6 centimeters since 1992, with most of it being attributed to meltwater from countries such as Greenland, where 303,000 tons of ice are being lost each year. Frilish goes on to say sea level rise is one of the most visible signatures of our changing climate, and rising seas have a profound effect on our nation, our economy, and all of humanity. By combining spaceborne and direct measurements of sea level with a host of other measurements from satellites and sensors and the oceans themselves, NASA scientists are not only tracking changes in the ocean heights, but are also determining the reasons for those changes. Now, from a dismal story of the sea, we head back down towards a more optimistic one. One of my favorite topics, the Antikythera Mechanism. We've talked about this before, of course. You guys probably know all about this by now. It's back in the news this past week. A new expedition from Greece is hoping to discover more fragments of this mysterious device. Generally considered to be one of the most important archaeological discoveries of all time, the remarkable 2,000-year-old device is believed to be a form of early astronomical computer. It's such a cool idea. If you've ever seen the Dark Crystal uh, I imagine this functioning like Ogre's much larger celestial tracking carnival device that she waddles around. Really cool. Discovered within a shipwreck uh, of the Greek, off the Greek island of Antikythera, which is where it gets its name, the mechanism was found alongside a number of other artifacts, including coins, jewelry, pottery, statue fragments, things like that. In the hope of finding more pieces of this mechanism, this team of archaeologists is preparing to return to the shipwreck for the first time since all the bad weather thwarted their efforts last year, which we also mentioned. It has even been speculated that the ship could have been carrying not one, but two separate mechanisms that were used together in unison to help ancient seafarers predict the motion of the planets. This is awesome. Whether the expedition divers will be able to find the second one remains to be seen, but a quick quote here from Brendan Foley, the uh, leader of this expedition, We were shocked to discover the wreck was much larger than earlier work had indicated, 30 to 50 meters long. The hull timbers were 11 centimeters thick. This would make the wreck bigger than the pleasure barges Caligula built for his artificial lake, and they were the largest Roman-era ships known. This is fun. Last week we spoke about a giant monolith off the coast of Sicily that may have been a Neolithic lighthouse, and now we're back to this. It is absolutely amazing how much of a blip in the course of our own timeline that we are with our current civilized world. We seem to forget that as we just sort of trudge along. 
Now, sticking with the theme of water discoveries, last week we spoke about an enormous lake discovered under the desert of China. This week, something similar has been reported a bit further away. NASA's Curiosity rover has discovered a large amount of water beneath buckskin rock in the Marius Pass on Mars. So, the deserts on Mars are actually not as dry as they seem. Thanks to its onboard drilling apparatus, the rover, or Curiosity, has this week uncovered a hidden water deposit located only a short distance beneath the surface of the planet. The discovery was made using the rover's dynamic albedo of neutrons, or DAN tool. The DAN tool is an active passive neutron spectrometer which works by looking for the hydrogen in water molecules. The find is very promising as it offers further evidence to suggest that the conditions on Mars were once a lot more favorable than they are today, and that life may have been able to survive there. Now, shifting over to news of the weird. An Australian man has claimed to have been warned off by men in black. That is right, folks. We have a men in black story. This is actually something that's going to be retold in an upcoming documentary. Uh, If I can get some of those guys in the show, that'd be great. But the story's been making the rounds online. Originally, it was posted in the uh, Sydney Herald. Father of two, Liam Freeney, received unexpected visits after witnessing a number of UFOs near his home. Freeney, who's a builder by trade, has little interest, apparently, in the subject of UFOs until one day in March 2013. I love any story that says, until one day. When he and his workmates witnessed a number of strange lights in the skies over New South Wales, followed by the appearance of military aircraft, which seemed to be pursuing them. A few months later, the objects started to appear on a regular basis, prompting Franey to purchase a video camera so he could try to record some footage. But as he stepped up his efforts to determine what the objects could be, he started to attract an entirely unwanted type of attention. He says, I would see and film an object, then directly afterwards I would get home, and a helicopter would show up and sit over the house. So I started filming the helicopters as well as the unidentified flying objects. It happened over and over again, 20 or 30 times at least. When they hover the height of a lamppost above your house and lean out the window, it's definitely not military training. Maybe I filmed something I shouldn't have. That's a possibility. Now, the incidents eventually came to a head two weeks before he was due to talk about his experience at a local UFO group. He had been out driving his car near his home when a large black sedan drove up behind him, pulled him over to the side of the road, and two men in black suits got out and approached the window of his vehicle. The strangers knew him by name and warned him in no uncertain terms that it would be best if he kept his mouth shut. Despite feeling initially apprehensive, however, Freeney decided to go ahead with the talk anyway. He says, The purpose of this whole two and a half years of contact that has happened to me, I believe, is for me to pass on the message that it is happening and that it is real. The only thing I have got out of it is to tell people what I am seeing. And that's that. Now, the Sydney Herald article points out that this actually all comes after this interesting announcement made back in July. You might have seen this online somewhere, heard about it on the news, or maybe not. This was posted on CBS News and most news sites, actually. 
Russian entrepreneur Yuri Milner is pledging $100 million U.S. to fund the most sophisticated search for extraterrestrials ever attempted. A 10-year campaign using radio and optical telescopes, ultra-sensitive detectors, and state-of-the-art software to study nearby stars and galaxies for the telltale signs of alien civilizations. This is what he said a few weeks back in July. Now, working with him on the project, you guessed it, Stephen Hawking. Also in the A-team, so to speak, is Frank Drake, the U.S. astrophysicist who pioneered SETI, famed U.S. planet hunter Jeff Marcy, and a whole bunch of other folks with similar resumes. Milner said he was inspired to act by the recent discovery of all these Earth-like planets, that they're all commonplace. I can't think of a better way to segue us into this week's UFO Roundup. Now, kicking things off here with about the highest profile place for a UFO sighting to be, we have a strange object reportedly seen over the Capitol building. All the folks that wonder why the UFOs don't just land on the White House front lawn, this is just a couple blocks away, right? The report reads, Washington, D.C., August 28th, just a few days ago, 2015. At the time I took the picture, I was on a foot tour around Washington, D.C., detailing the events of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. We came to a street corner. I don't remember the exact street. And I saw a good photo opportunity with the Capitol building, the moon and a clock tower all in the background of the photo. I took three photos, and my parents took a few more as well. However, only one of these photos contained lights. At the time I took the picture, I didn't even notice it, and just continued on with the tour. On the car ride back from the tour, I was looking through my photos and noticed these five lights in V formation above the Capitol building. I had no idea what they were. I can't think of anything that would cause a light pattern like that, besides maybe military planes. Because I didn't even notice them in the first place, I was only able to go off the picture and have no information on the object's motions or actions. Now, if this were taken through a, uh, a window of sorts where there were a little glare, it might be a bit easier to, to explain away, or want to explain away. But if you look at the pictures, and I'm going to post those on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash theinvisibleworldshow. Keep in mind, unidentified doesn't mean from an alien world, of course, but be it a product of a digital chipset or something actually hovering. Triangular formations are definitely the current flavor of things flying overhead, wherever the origin cool photo. Check it out. Now, next up, we swing by Silverton, Indiana, where this eerie narrative, like that, was just posted a few days ago. It was horrible. Uh, not about flying saucers or triangles, but an actual fourth-kind contact. Now, this was on the 31st, day before yesterday. Starts, I've reported about entities in my room before, but this time they seem to have affected everything electronic in my room when it came. It was about eight foot tall and about four to five feet away. The time of the occurrence was around 1 p.m. Wow, middle of the day. My watch stopped at that time. It stood there for between three to five minutes before turning around and slowly vanishing. Once again, my dog did not react to it being in the room, and the other dogs that I now live with didn't react either. I did not see anything that looked like a craft, 
when I looked outside, nor did I see what looked like a landing area. My cell phone hasn't been able to hold a charge all day, and went from about 90% charge, it had been on the charger for two hours, to a critical charge less than 10%. Just over the time frame, the entity was in my room. The entity was a dark green, almost black, with vertical pupils and yellow-colored eyes. It had three ridges on its head, one down the center and one down each side, just over where the ears would be. Its mouth looked somewhat like a muzzle, but it was more blunt and wide. It wore a tan-colored uniform with gray stripes down the side of the pants and an insignia that looked like two triangles pointing at each other at the tops. Now, that's where I'm going to stop the description. It's such a detailed description from this witness. If you want to dismiss this as sleep paralysis, of course you can. And the described creature bears more than a passing resemblance to what's described as a reptiloid-type alien. Naturally, when a story has hallmark signs of stuff that comes before, you can either say, hey, she was watching the last Starfighter and had Greg on the mind, or Bosk from Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. Or maybe she knew what reptiloids were and pieced that together in her mind. Or maybe there is something. Maybe all those images and pop culture and all those stories of reptiloids are true. And what she's seeing is what inspired them. Ooh, spooky voice. Enough of that. Moving on. UFO chases Donald Trump's helicopter. You heard it right here on The Invisible World, folks. <laughs> Donald Trump's helicopter is being hounded down by some aliens who want an autograph or something. Or God, I hope they're not voters. So, Donald Trump was at the Iowa State Fair giving kids a ride in his helicopter on the 15th of August. The report here says we were walking down the street to the fair. Donald Trump's helicopter was flying overhead, so I got my photo and snapped a picture. It was very hard to see the helicopter because of the glare in the screen. Later that day, I was sitting in the shade. I got my phone out to see how the picture had come out, and that's when I noticed the object in the photo. And yes, I will post that photo to the Facebook page. Haven't really vetted this story, per se. There's a photograph of it. I've not talked to this guy do not make the claim uh, that this is true in any way, shape, or form, but it does exist. The photo, I mean. It definitely does exist. Now, now we do have a couple more stories here, a whole bunch more reports, but I'm going to have to stop here for time as we are winding down. And I might do that with tonight's final thought. Now, for the final thought, I want to go back to that doomsday prophecy. There are folks that cite all manner of so-called evidence to support this idea that the world will end in a month. Quotes from the Pope, world leaders, and more. But keep in mind that if you want to believe that someone is telling you lies, like I was saying before, and the truth lies somewhere else, consider this. You can say that about really anything. Really. If all bets are off, then any bit of information can be used and bent to convince yourself and those around you of any conclusion. The end of the world keeps popping up as, well, that's something that concerns everyone. It doesn't get much bigger than the end of the world. I mean, isn't that what most conspiracy theories are actually bent on? The end of either life or a massive paradigm shift altering how we live ours. Right down to the fear of war or the fear of the other, it's all using this trigger of change, this ending to get you to take notice based on information that you are provided with. Now that said, yeah, 
It is possible. Maybe the world will end. It's entirely possible that this is right, and we'll all disappear, right? But if you want, you could probably figure out a way to use the same information to convince yourself that the world will end the following month, or next year, or ten years from now, and it will be just as possible as it is this month, if you want to believe that the world is lying to you. And you know what? What you hear is filtered. What you hear is planned most of the time. Even in the world of science news, even me right now, I'm choosing stories that I think you're going to find entertaining or I think are entertaining. And if there's something that I grossly don't agree with, I won't touch certain topics. And while it seems like I'm going in circles here, the real takeaway is that you should really not rely on the conjecture of unsubstantiated claims out of fear in the same way that you don't trust partial information about any suggestion of fact. You can't question one bit of half information, but take on face value something that's even thinner. So don't stress. If the world ends, then it ends. I have a hunch that we'll still be airing in the proceeding weeks. But keep questioning everything, even the exciting and sensational stuff you're told not to. And with that, we end another episode of The Invisible World. Big thanks to Trash80 for the intro and outro music. Huge thanks to the Paranormal A Radio Network for carrying us up in Canada and around the world. Uh, another note here, guys. Spirits and Spirits just dropped its second episode last week. Jack and I ran around the Brooklyn Navy Yard, got to go to the Kings County Distillery, and see a couple of spooky areas around the Navy Yard themselves, which you'll hear yours truly talking about on the show. So check out spiritsandspirits.net. That's spiritsandspirits.net. And while you're up there, check out the Facebook page for the show, The Invisible World Show. That's facebook.com slash The Invisible World Show. Guys, thank you so much for listening once again. Thank you to everyone here and everyone out there. This has been The Invisible World. I'm Frank Todaro reminding you to be good to each other and keep looking forward. 